The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and I am joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, buddy. The studio is still standing. Thank goodness. Yes. Man, um, I kind of don't want to, like, say, oh, wow, the storm barely hit us for two reasons. One, I, I do believe in, like, tempting fate with hurricanes. Uh-huh. Oh, we should probably preface by saying uh, we had a hurricane in South Florida. Yeah, yeah Hurricane Matthew that, uh, well, I'm assuming everyone in the nation would know. Yeah. Well, but we also, we have an international audience. Well, so, pl- and people might not know we're based down in Miami. We're, we're in Miami, Florida, and, uh, you know, the tropics. And uh, we had a big storm. Looks like it may, you know, was going to come for us. We were in the cone. We were, yeah. or, or we were on the edge of that cone. We didn't know. Yeah. Big-ass storm, and we haven't been hit direct here since 2005. Yeah. That's the year we had. That was our, our sophomore year of college. Dude, oh we had God. Rita, Katrina. No, we had Katrina, Rita, Wilma. Yeah, it was it was nasty. Yeah. And, God, I remember you were my college roommate. Yes. At the University of Miami. I remember during Wilma, you and me uh, protecting our electronics. The water was seeping in through the windows. Of, mm-hmm. You know, great dorms, University of Miami. It's real, real quality stuff. Yeah. Seeping through our third floor window. We were putting down, like, we were emptying our laundry baskets, like, putting down laundry to keep the water from hitting our electronics. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, those, the Eaton Residential College was built in the 50s as the girls' dormitory. That's so, right. you know, it's been a while. But yeah, I mean, thank God we were on the side we worked. Remember the other side? Got, Ooh, like, was completely massively flooded. flooded. Yeah, dude. So anyway. Yeah. Um, but, right. But thankfully, Hurricane Matthew, the one that came through last or earlier this yeah. week, it missed us to the right by about 100 miles. Yeah. But we, we, were, we were just getting feeder bands, yeah. but not even that not e- much. Did you lose power? I didn't even lose no, power. No, there was a few flickers, but it, it nothing. I mean, we had the shutters up and everything, moved sort of the, the furniture in the patio, Got all the supplies and everything, but yeah, it was uneventful, which is good, thank God. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, up north in northern Florida, got uh, more of a hit in Jacksonville area, and obviously in the Caribbean, you know, Haiti and all that stuff. It's, it's never good on the way here. Sure. But, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, like, uh, as I was saying before, like, I, 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 I don't want to comment too much on the fact that the storm didn't hit us for two reasons. One, I don't want to tempt fate, because I do believe that, you know, if you make fun of the fact that the hurricane won't doesn't hit you... You're going to be due for another one. And two, yeah, there are some folks in northern Florida I, and Georgia who did get hit, and yeah. we certainly hope that they uh, get better soon. I, I feel like you kind of don't want to be like, yeah, we it was all right, whatever, bleh, because you own a home now. Oh, my God. I feel like five years ago, you would have been just like oh. middle, double middle fingers to the skies. It's like, ha, screw you, Matthew. Ryan's yeah. still standing. All right. See, I always wondered growing up why my parents were always so stressed out during hurricanes. Because when you're a kid, hurricanes are great. Like, no school, no mm-hmm. homework. And, you know, your parents are, like, yelling at the dog and, you know, you know, being like, get the damn shutter. Get it over here now. Dad, yeah. the hurricane's not coming from seven hours. Get it over here. And I could never understand why they're balls of stress. But now I'm a homeowner and I get it. Yeah. I mean, hurricanes suck royally. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And, and I'll say this. I had already mentally prepared for not doing a podcast this weekend. Mm-hmm. I had the tweet ready to go, oh, no podcast this weekend. Oh, we're, we're, we're rebuilding. Right. And now I have to like get back in the podcasting mindset. And I know I shouldn't be complaining about that, but... Yeah, you still have your shutters up. I know, because shutters are a pain in the ass. 
This is a Sunday. The everything happened or was supposed to happen on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. You still have them up. That's right. When I got here, this house is super your, dark. Your car wasn't even in the driveway. I thought like, is, did he forget? Did did absent minded absent minded Ryan forget about me in the show? And you're like, oh no no no, it's it's parked at the hospital in their parking garage. Yeah, which is not across the street. Protecting it from the storm that did not happen. Yeah, so I, you, I think you maybe a little overkill. But better to overprepare, no? Yeah, okay, yeah. that's true. Um, anyway, we're glad to be here. We're glad that uh, you know no one, you know, that South Florida was mostly spared, didn't even lose power. All right, very, yeah. very cool. There we go. There you know. So you don't want to tent fate, but you're giving that a round of applause. What? It's, it's all of Miami applauding that we all were okay. I feel like the systems that come over from Africa know you just hit the applause button. But but I, I'm not making fun of the hurricanes. I'm celebrating our community. Hmm. We're going to get hit so bad now, aren't we? It's your fault. Oh, God. Come after this guy. So, <laughs> well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just hit my house. Like every, Send your letters <laughs> to break the business care of Ryan Carella. <laughs> Are you telling the hurricane to send mail? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> right, our, coming up in the next segment, uh, John Ojaka is going to be joining us. He is a music marketing expert, former label artist. The dude has has seen some things. He's an industry uh-huh. veteran, and he's got some great tips for uh, music marketing coming our way. He's the founder of the Music Marketing Manifesto. You can check that out at musicmarketingmanifesto.com. If you want to email the podcast, you can do so by emailing breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Uh, you can send us show questions, propose show topics. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Follow Dave on Twitter. Where are you, Dave? At MetalDave85. Have we gotten the 100th follower yet? Because last week we're trying to get you to 100 followers. What's what's our status? I hit that. You hit the 100. Oh, yeah, good, good. But then it went back down again. Oh, isn't that the worst? I know, right? Like You all, should be contractually locked into whoever you yeah. follow. Well, or, or plus, I think whenever you hit the milestone, whether it's your 100th follower, your 500th follower, like Twitter should have something where you can't, it can't go any lower. Like you should be able to stay yeah. at that milestone. I thought there'd be like balloons too. I've seen that on people's things, like the balloons that are on like the Twitter page. I'm like, there's nothing here. Nothing. Did I have to do that? It's like, no, the Twitter didn't give a shit. They don't care about me. Well, they don't care about the little guy. So... Those porn bots, they need to stay on your account. Like, stop fleeing every time Dave hits a milestone. We want him to stay in the triple digits. Yeah. Come on, bots. What are you doing? <laughs> you Come can, on, Cyberdyne. <laughs> Cyberdyne. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash break the business. Uh, you were telling me, Dave, uh, on text before yesterday before the show that you very much enjoyed the Rory Kelly interview last week. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I finally got around to listening to it, which I know is exactly what you, as the host of the show, want to hear, that I sometimes we don't get around to listening to other parts of the show. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I got to be honest, because, you know, current events being what they are, I kind of like, you know, I know that uh, Rory Kelly, the whole thing was basically more about the female perspective and sort of empowerment in the industry, so I wanted to give it a listen. And she was absolutely fantastic. She I, was tweeted, great. I tweeted at her to let her know. Um, again, Rory Kelly, you, you go check out all of her stuff. It's Remember, it's R O R I E. That's right. And then K E L L E Y. Right? K E L L Y. Why? I misspelled it on the board, Rory. I'm very sorry. That's my fault. That's my fault. That's not Ryan's fault. Okay. <laughs> A lot of great stuff. And, you know, we were, I was listening to you guys talk and um, sort of seeing how she's a lot of times alone on these panels and these symposia and everything. Where she's the only woman on the panel. Yeah. and she, Token woman. Basically token, like, oh, yeah, tell us about your experience, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Speak for your whole gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a cookie or whatever. 
Um, so I, I wanted, I was just curious. Well, I wonder what the, because you know she was saying like, yeah, you know it, it's a very male dominated industry. So I want to see. Okay, just a quick little cursory glance and go to the big three labels, right? Sony. Universal Music, Warner, right? Yeah. You know, the big three. So he did some investigative reporting here. This is exciting. Oh, yes. You know, just a quick visit to their websites and basically going on the about, and they have the executive leadership. Sure. And scrolling down and just seeing who's on there. Well, Sony has 14 executives listed on their page. Yeah. Two of them are women. <sighs> Universal Music has 11 executives on their page. Two of them are women. Warner's has 14 executives on their webpage. Two of them are women. Weird. Six out of 39 executives of the top three music labels in the country, I dare say the world, basically. I mean, yeah. you know, a 15% clip. Yeah, I was, I was trying to do the math in my head there. Six out of yeah, and by and, and, and by the way, uh, if you're already wondering... There are a few minority faces on there. The vast majority of these 39 are white male dudes. I um, imagine, yeah. So I saw that. I'm like, well, that's fascinating and horrifying and terrible. Yeah. And, you know, it got me thinking like, oh, man, yeah, this, this sucks that when you have this executive leadership, obviously things down below are not going to be really female friendly or, you know, like you were saying, like those sorts of little microaggressions or the, the, that stuff just permeates down, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously it's, okay, you got to somehow get female, you know, leadership in there. But also, if you think about it, buddy, the way to sort of smash that patriarchy is, let's say, perfect world. Everyone buys the Break the Business book, right? Everyone listens to this podcast. I'm loving this hypothetical so far. (laughs) Everyone says, screw the labels, we're going all of our own. (gasps) Guess what, dude? That means suddenly all those female artists are essentially the executives are, of themselves. Are the, are the people in power. And all of a sudden, that means half or more of the industry, all of a sudden, boom, there you go. That's a very poignant thought. Yes, the I, I, I'm with you, man. The as All the things that we say are good about independent music and the rise of the independent musician, one of those many is, I think it is, as you said, the most efficient way to creating real diversity in the industry. Because if you're waiting for Warner and Sony and Universal to give women and give minorities that power, you're going to be waiting a long time. Whereas if you mm-hmm. take that power by saying, I'm not going to wait for that record label to make, you know, to create a position for me, I'm going to start my own music company. And just like that, I'm the CEO and exactly. I'm going to make it powerful and thus become a powerful figure. Yeah. You're the CEO, you're the CFO, you're the treasurer, you're the vice president, you're the chief marketer, you're the, the booker, you're, you're your PR, you're your publicist, you're everything. You control the petty cash. You decide, you know, <laughs> oh, do we get pizza on Fridays? Yeah, we get pizza on Fridays. You're the boss. Yeah, I'm a boss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's how we got to topple the patriarchy. Yeah, with the, with independent musicians, with with the new music industry, I love it. That was a, that was poignant, my friend. Yeah, because I mean, because I think you know we're attorneys and we're in a industry which um, d- definitely does have uh, sort of sexist, misogynist strains. Yeah, uh, I have seen it firsthand in my per- uh, professional life. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, have you also? I mean, I'm yes, yes, okay, um, very, yeah. Yeah, and it's not fun. And every time I've seen it, I just I'm taken aback by it, and I'm like, "Wow, this wow, okay, it's this is the 21st century, whereas it's 2016, and this this shit still happens." 
which I never understand because everyone's here because of a mother, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we you know, kind of owe a lot to women. Yeah, you have grandmothers. Maybe you have a sister. You probably have cousins that are female. You probably have friends that are female. You know, I kind of like all them, and I would like them to succeed mm-hmm. and have opportunities and not be uh, groped or manhandled or uh, grabbed by the you-know-what by some uh, rich asshole. So, uh, you know... Well, and whatever it, I'm, we, no, yeah. it's very much a problem, even at the yeah. highest echelons of power. And, and, you know, I don't mean to bring politics into this show because this is probably a place where people want to get away from politics. I guess, but, but we have, but, but I, you know, I was thinking that too, but we actually, we have microphones. We actually have a voice. Yeah. So well, I also kind of feel like at a certain point there's there, you know, well, I wasn't even talking about the obvious oh, yeah. sexism, you know, uh, of a certain Republican presidential candidate. The tangerine nightmare. Yes. I was I was thinking even just more on the, on the microaggression standpoint. I was watching the vice presidential debate mm-hmm. uh, last week, and I could not help but notice that um, both Tim Kaine and Mike Pence had this uh, what what you know many in the uh, you know feminist writing circles call the manterrupting, mm-hmm. where you know the two of them just could not help you know interrupting the moderator uh, Elaine Quijano, I believe was her name. Yeah, I think so. And just you know. Every time she would try to, you know, get control of the room, ask a question, they both thought it was their place as men in this society to just, oh, I'm going to interrupt her. Right. Even though she's supposed to be the one who, by her vir- virtue of her position, should be able to interrupt the two of them. Yeah, and actually control them. Yeah. Ryan? Yeah? Where does a mansplater get his water? Oh, I should know this. Uh, where? From a well, actually. Oh, damn. Wait for it. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Whatever. Uh, yeah. I just yeah. I just wanted to say that stuff because hey man, I don't know. I got I got a microphone. People, absolutely. People actually listening to me. And if you don't agree with me, I don't know. Whatever, man. But remember, you came from a woman. If if it's not for them, you wouldn't be here. So you know. Well. well show some gratitude. Absolutely. Help them succeed. You know. Be part of the solutions. Yeah. I, I, Maybe I, one day you'll have a daughter. <laughs> and I very much appreciate Rory Kelly for coming on last week and uh, allowing that conversation to move forward. One of my favorite interviews. I hope we can have her oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Time. Rory Kelly, great stuff. So Shatter that patriarchy. Yes, indeed. Take a by, s- sledgehammer to the patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. Um, hey, by, by the way, do you notice what's funny right now? What's funny right now? We're two white dudes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, part of the problem. Keep listening to the show. <laughs> Don't shatter it by not listening to us. <laughs> But There's listen, other ways. But listen to other voices, too. Listen other to other diverse voices. voices. Yes. Um, all right, so I got some entertainment law news, which means... Ooh. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Law! Thank you, Mr. Asante. So back in 25th, June of 2015, you see how far fast I'm running away from uh, that important point you just brought up. <laughs> back in June of 2015, I wrote about... Uh, this is back when the Break the Business website was just a humble music blog. And then, mm-hmm. uh, oh, you wrote an article? I did. Actually, no, this is a real article. This is a real article. This is not your lazy, just cut and paste from your book and give it to a publication. Be like, uh, yeah, I, I wrote an article. I changed the a, a to an and there. Whatever, go use it. I used to actually write a lot more articles, and then, um, what? then the, then the what podcast. A, what happened. a great brag! I used well, to write articles well, back when I wasn't so damn lazy. Well, because like what happened was I, I wrote a bunch, I created the Break the Business blog, breakthebusiness.com, and I would write articles about the music industry. 
And it turns out writing articles is really hard. Actually, that's true. Now that you think about it, that used to be like your your posts. Like, oh, yeah. I wrote a blog article. I wrote an article. I know. And, and I, I just I would... sort of like, yeah, you're right. You just sort of fizzled. Well, because then I started doing the podcast. And I was like, wow, talking is a lot easier than writing. Oh, you're blaming me. Yeah. Just, you know, you're, you're the source of all the problems in my life. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so, but I used to put out three articles a week. And then I was like, you know, it's easier than that. Just talking. So... And so now we have a podcast. Boston but back, Globe over here. But back when I was much more diligent, I wrote a blog article uh, talking about a lawsuit between 19 recordings mm-hmm. and Sony Music. 19 recordings representing a bunch of the American Idol artists, Kelly Clarkson, Clay Aiken, uh, Carrie Underwood. Mm-hmm. They were suing Sony Music, their label, right. uh, alleging that Sony was underpaying these American Idol artists in royalties. And... Uh, now we have an update in that case. Last week, a federal judge ruled that there is a legitimate question of fact as to that point of underpayment of royalties, mm-hmm. and a jury is going to have to hear the questions. And here's the issue, okay? Mm-hmm. Here's kind of what it all gets down to. And this is an instructive story because it does uh, embody a greater issue in the music industry. Um, but in this case, so you got um, Sony mm-hmm. uh, is you know, getting Spotify revenues. So right. know, a Kelly Clarkson gets song, song gets played. Sony gets the money, and it's paying the artist 15%, roughly, whatever Mm -hmm. the royalty rate is for music. The artists are claiming that they should be getting 50% of those royalties under their deal with Sony. And Mm -hmm. here's the issue, okay? The contract that uh, Sony had with these artists spells out that any for uh, money made from what it calls distributions or sales— Mm-hmm. is a 15% royalty rate. So Your traditional sale yeah. at a brick-and-mortar store, a CD goes off the shelf, artist gets 50% of that twelve ninety nine. Fifteen percent 15%. You said oh, oh, 15, not... Did you say 50 or 15? I said 50. 15. Of the sale? That's right. <laughs> yes. Didn't you just say... No, they want 50. No, they, they want 50, but I'm saying under the contract, for if it's a distribution or sale, it's 15% royalty rate. Right. All right? All Did right. I get confused? Could be. I think I got confused. I'll walk you. Th- okay. So the contract says if it's a distribution or sale, 15%. Right. Okay. So if you, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, you buy that CD at Walmart, the artist gets 15% of that. But that seems low, but psh, it's not really 15% because they do a bunch of deductions and it's actually about 8%. Okay. So oh, wait, wait, that, that's lower. Yeah, that's not considerably that's, that's lower. Number, that's lower that's than 15. Much, much lower. Do, do, do you think the artists know about that when they sign the deal? Uh, probably not, because they bury it under a considerable amount of contractual language, and they use multiple sections in the agreement, and they use a lot of complicated deduction procedures so that the artist can never find out. Dude, I don't think they should sign those deals. Yeah, they, that's, they're pretty problematic. So, um, but we'll say 15%. All right, now, the contract also says that if the money comes in through what it refers to as broadcasts or transmissions, mm-hmm. it's a 50% royalty rate. So... Distributions or sales, 15%, but not really 15%. It's actually closer to 8%. Um, or, you know, but, and then broadcast or uh, transmissions, 50%. Okay. Oh, I guess that maybe, maybe that makes sense because they're probably going to say it costs more with the physical unit and everything. That's why there's less money. But a stream is just a stream. But really, it's all bullshit because most of the music is sold digitally, so there's no transmission costs anymore. Wow, it really <laughs> seems like these people should not be in this business. It's a serious scam. If only there was a different way they could do it. <laughs> all right, so exactly. So now here's the question for you, Dave. Yes? You know, contractual attorney guy trying to, if you're the judge, all right? So sales, 15%. Mm-hmm. Transmissions and broadcast, 50%. What is 
Spotify revenue? Is it a sale or is it a distribution or transmission? Well, Ryan, technically, since you said I'm the judge, it doesn't matter because this is going to a jury trial. Well, so, uh, sir, actually, I decide questions of law, not questions of fact. Your <laughs> objections are overruled. Get the hell out of my court. <laughs> Sorry. That, that was, was a loud bang. Uh, well, it was a big gavel you just yeah, brought yeah, into yeah, this yeah. podcast. Exactly. Uh, no, but that's an interesting, that is a very interesting question of fact yeah. that I guess up till now has not been decided. Yeah, yeah. This is it. Which, where is this, by the way? What, uh, New York, the, New York Federal. Do you feel bad? Because I have a feeling you know the answer. You would love to be on one of these juries, but you probably never will in your life because you would be disqualified immediately on voir dire. Oh, yeah. No, there's no chance. Unless, you'd have to like lie. Or no, you'd have to send me in as the ringer. It's like, sir, do you have any connection to the music industry? No, I don't. <laughs> Mr. K, why did you just laugh there? Oh, I didn't laugh. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> did you just say wink? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> to um, infiltrating the system. Oh, wait, right. did you just say infiltrating the system? Like, Your Honor, we disqualified <laughs> number fifty immediately. Uh, four cause. Yeah, um, but that's yeah, because like, wow, it's a because okay, a, a transmission. They I guess they seem more as a, what like a radio traditional radio well, broadcast. Well, a traditional. Well, think of it more like I mean something that would definitely be a transmission would mm-hmm. be like internet, like Pandora Radio. But like traditional radio actually um, is not uh, sound recordings are not covered under traditional radio. So owners of sound recordings don't get paid by a traditional radio, but they do get paid by Internet radio. So Internet radio would definitely be a transmission. So Pandora is a transmission, but Spotify, they don't well, know what well, it is yet. Or Spotify is Internet radio. Right. But, but what we're talking about is streaming. So it's not just listening to a passive Internet radio station. It's, you know, a music listener going on Spotify saying, I want to listen to Kelly Clarkson. And then Kelly Clark. Oh, that's right. Paid. Basically, you, you you go behind their paywall where you're actually able to actually pick the music you want to listen to. That's right. Or like e- Apple Music, right? Right. Or Apple Music. Any any one of these. So, but it's it's a complicated question because is it a transmission because you're not like buying an actual copy of something or right. is it a sale, and it's ambiguous. But really, <laughs> really, these are just dirty label tricks mm-hmm. because. As you noted before, there's no transmission cost here. There's no reason why the label should only be paying you 15%, which is really actually about 8%, because it's just, it's just, you know, it's a transmission. It's, it's, it's digital code. There, there's, it's not, say, there's no risk to the label. Why not pay them 50%? Is it, I mean, cause I don't, I, I'm not sure if you know the mechanics of it. And is it just that Sony one day will take a USB drive to Spotify headquarters and say, here. Here's a new Taylor Swift album. Essentially. But it's probably, I can't imagine it's actually a USB stick. It's probably yeah. just sending them a file. But it's just its just a one-time thing. Right. You, we, have, we have an agreement. You have to license this. You're able to play this. Here are the files. Put it up on your system. Have at it. There's, yeah, and that's it. There's no risk. And so it should be 50%. Hmm. But, you know, they're trying to get cute here. And, you know, but here's the, here's the thing that's really horrifying. Okay. As we've pointed out on this podcast before... Streaming is now the most significant revenue stream for recorded music. Mm-hmm. It is now outpaced downloads for the first time ever. Uh, it was either this year or last year. And so the yeah. fact that record label contracts still aren't completely clear as to how streaming is paid is ludicrous to me. It's your largest revenue stream and there's ambiguity in your contract as to how much the artist is supposed to get paid. You got to be kidding me. I wonder how ludicrous feels about this. Well, surprisingly, he's the only one that's okay with it. It's very ironic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it gets to a broader theme that mm-hmm. we talk about on this podcast all the time about the music industry, which is record labels 
<laughs> um, they only adapt to changes in their music industry when it suits them. When the market's changing, they only care when it's in their interest. And the best example that we've talked about of this is um, when, back in 2004, when labels uh -huh. started to, when, when people wanted to start to download music, uh, People said, hey, labels, can you create a legal way for us to you know, download your music? And they said, no, because CDs are still making a lot of money for us. They didn't adapt, and so the, the industry crashed mm -hmm. when eventually people went to Napster and downloaded illegally. Then you get later on, and you know, labels see that artists are making a lot of money from other sources outside of their record deal. And so they create 360 deals. Mm -hmm. So in one example, they don't adapt to changes in technology because it's in their interest. And in the other situation, they do adapt to changes in technology when it's in their interest because it is in their interest. And now you get to this situation where, you know, they say to themselves, hey, you know, some lawyer probably went to music industry fat cat and said, hey, industry fat cat, we got this situation here. Um, our contracts say that sales are 15% are royalty and transmissions are 50% royalty, and we have all these streams coming in, and maybe we should just say that streams count as a 50% royalty now, just to clarify things, mm -hmm. right, Fat Cat? Oh, yeah. That sounds like a great idea. You seem like in line for a promotion, kid. Really? Yeah, but you gotta think bigger. 50% is so low. I can't add an extra pool on top of my pool for that. I need a double-decker pool. Oh, so, so you're saying we, we should continue to only give them 15%? That sounds about right, but maybe really about like eight percent. But eight, but but that just seems really corrupt, industry fat cat. Because again, there's no transmission costs for you. Like, why would you only give them eight percent? Because I'm a giant corporation, kid. I care about me and my shareholders more than you. You're just chattel. You're a means to the end. And see, there All you right. go. <laughs> Very good. That's a, it's improv, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it, it it's amazing, and it's funny, like. I was actually reading a record contract the other day, uh -huh. and um, I was reading through it, and it was talking about like royal. It had this, it had like three pages on royalty rates, mm. and it talked about all these different situations where it's like, you know, what happens if the if it's sold at Walmart versus sold on iTunes, or what happens if it's sold through a record club because apparently people still use Columbia House, and they have three <laughs> pages about like physical sales mm -hmm. and nothing about streaming. Hmm. I was like. I was like, I mean, I mean, I'm guessing that this is still an old contract, but I was like, you're still using this contract? Like, streaming's where all your money is coming in, and you have three pages about freaking Columbia House record yeah. clubs. It's like, uh, subpart, like, seven, streaming. Go to Appendix 5. Go yeah. to Appendix 5, TBD. Yeah, exactly. We're working <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, and look, here's the thing. We sh what we should be doing with record contracts is instead of having like 15% for this kind of revenue and 50% for this kind of revenue, how about put all the money in a giant pot and then split the profits? Hmm. So say, okay, label, okay, we spent $100,000 making your record. Mm -hmm. We take all the money from all the sources, streaming, physical, et cetera, licensing, and then once you've, we've paid off all the costs of the record. We should have one final thing, that's yeah, it. Then, what, then the profit we split. 50-50 be nice because, and that's exactly the way, by the way, they do it in the film business. So why don't they do it in the record business? Because labels really like the way things are now where they're giving artists only 15% for certain kinds of sales, but really it's 8%. Um, and it's, it's just, it's horrifying. Yeah. And the, the, the labels are not modernizing because it's not in their financial interest to do so. And it's com it's continuing to screw artists. Yeah. And one way you can prevent this, of course, is by not getting with labels in the first place. Yeah. 
<laughs> is this a bad time to mention that a few days ago I applied for a job at Universal Music? Really? Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, as a white male, I think your chances are pretty good. They'll put you right at the top. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> John Oshaka next on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is a musician and creator of the Music Marketing Manifesto, a popular online music course that features more than 40 training videos designed to teach artists how to effectively sell their music online. His work has been featured in Rolling Stone, Newsweek, Time, and CNN. You can find out more about his music and his work by visiting musicmarketingmanifesto.com and johnojaka.com. Ladies and gentlemen, John Ojaka is on the Break the Business Podcast. John, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, you know, I have rarely come across musicians on this podcast that have had a longer, uh, more storied career going through the whole music experience and label experience as you have. And so it's you know great to have you on the show. I think uh, your guidance is going to be very instructive. And of course, your marketing expertise is going to be instructive for us. Uh, getting started, I'd love to hear a little bit about that music story of yours. Uh, can you tell us uh, how you got started and maybe walk us through a little bit of your experience with labels? Because uh, you know you've, you certainly have quite an experience on your resume. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> so let's see. So, um, like everybody, you know, uh, or most musicians anyway, I began playing music as a teenager. And, um, as soon as I graduated high school, I moved, uh, I was, I grew up in Hawaii and I moved to, moved to the mainland, moved to Seattle initially, and then later Los Angeles to pursue the, the ever elusive, uh, dream of getting a big, big record deal and being a rock star and doing that whole thing. Um, and I moved to this, this is going back. I'm dating myself a, a bit here, but I moved to Los Angeles. I want to say it was 1997, something like that. But again, I had been in Seattle for about three years prior and I, 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 I really busted my butt at, at, at the whole music game. And I had had a number of, um, uh, demo deals over the years, but I just couldn't get somebody to, uh, to sign me. It would seem, you know, demo deal after demo deal, but nobody was willing to cut the big check. And then one day I got a, another demo deal to Capitol records. And, uh, at least the story that was that filtered down to me, I, I'm not actually sure how true this is, but I like the story, the filter that, uh, the story that had filtered down to me was that somebody, uh, at Capitol who was leaving the, the company, the radio, head of radio promotions, uh, wanted to go out with a, a hit under his belt just to, for positioning, presumably at the next gig. And uh, he leaked a track of mine that was going to be a single for a tiny movie, a movie that probably no one's uh, heard of. It didn't end up doing much called Clubland. And um, a track of mine called Bisexual Chick was going to be the uh, uh, the single for that 
soundtrack for that film, and he leaked it apparently early uh, to K-Rock, and they ended up liking the track, picked it up, started spinning it, it got spread across the country, other stations started spinning it, and I had uh, no deal in place, just a a fairly limited demo deal that was going to time out before too long, um, and only had a first right of refusal. Anyway, uh, with a a track being played across the country and no record deal, that led to what at least the trade paper said was the the biggest um, new artist signing in history at the time, and a a pretty substantial uh, publishing deal that went along with that. And and I uh, initially signed with Interscope Records. Uh, The album came out. I had my uh, 15 minutes, more like (laughs) two and a half, but, uh, uh, you know, was on MTV and toured the country and was on the radio and and did all that. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, as is so often the case, I did not sell enough uh, albums. I was promptly dropped from the record label. I was uh, re-signed to Universal. Um, I got dropped from that deal before the album even came out. Uh, and then I got signed again to a, a Warner Brothers subsidiary called The Record Collection. That was just a one-off. Um, then re-signed again to an independent label. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the the uh, each deal or the results seem to just be getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, and the writing sort of seemed to be on the wall that, you know, things were not looking good for my career. Um, and I, I sort of realizing that if I didn't do something fairly quick, I was going to need to, uh, uh, get a job, which I did not want to do. Um, I, I, jumped on one of these ads that we've all seen uh, with some flashy red headline promising that if I only, you know, only shelled out a couple of hundred bucks and bought a course on marketing, um, that they uh, that uh, they teach me how to make millions of dollars in my sleep with little to no effort. Um, and, and so I bought the course. Um, it was a paid advertising-based strategy that they taught in this course. Sat up uh, all night applying all the lessons, creating an ad to sell just some digital ebook. Spent ten bucks on advertising, went to sleep, woke up the next morning and had sold uh, a twenty dollar ebook, and and um, that kind of gave me. Uh, the marketing bug that ultimately led to Music Marketing Manifesto. I, I kind of ran ahead of myself there. I don't know. Uh, we, we, we've already gotten out of the, the record deal stories. No, I, I don't know if you want me to continue there with the music marketing or you want to chat more about the label. Well, I very, I very much love hearing about that. You know, we the, the story you're telling, uh, we've heard different versions of it on the podcast about <clears> folks that sure. you know started out in music and eventually found a new calling um, on the business side, helping other artists. And I do love that story, and I do want to talk to you about the Music Marketing Manifesto. But before we get there, um, I would like to take a step back and uh, hear a little more about this label story. Now, sure. one of the things that we often bring up on this podcast and we talk about are sort of the dangers of record deals, uh, particularly in this new era where you have things like 360 deals and things that can make these contracts particularly predatory. And you you came, you know, and you know, out of fairness to you, you came up in the music industry during a time where you didn't have as many tools as DIY artists have today to move their careers forward without a record label. But given your experience with all these labels and um, how your career progressed, um, would you do anything different? Do you, do you think you'd, you'd change your strategy in terms of if you were to go independent or how you'd go independent? 
If I was to go, if I was to come up now and try to, you know, uh, pursue a career for the first time as a 21 year old kid in, in this climate, I would completely do things differently. There are a few things that I would do differently even back then if I, if I knew then what I knew now. Um, uh, which, which way do you want me to tackle that? <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I think both of those are, well, let's, let's start with the second one first, because I think sure. uh, we got, I got a ton of questions for you about uh, how, uh, you know, the 21 year old version of you today can achieve success as a DIY artist. But, um, you know, I'd, lo- I'd love to, if you don't mind, uh, you know, you know, turning back a few pages in your life, I'd love to hear about that. Um, you know, sure, what you but- might've done differently. Well, they'll, they'll probably overlap to some extent, and maybe I can answer the the, the second one by touching on part of the first one. Um, Works you know, for me. I, w- one of the things that was sort of so depressing about my career was that, or my music career was that, m- literally millions of dollars were spent on me. You know, hundreds of thousands are spent on promotion alone, and I toured the country and been on the radio and was on television all the time, and you know, had quite a lot of attention pointed in my direction at one point in my career. And when it was all said and done, when I sort of started over um, and started looking into um, marketing, you know, again, we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, but the short version is what happened is once I uh, figured out how to sell other unreal related to music products on the uh, on the internet I started applying what I was learning uh, out there in other spaces to my music career and the first thing I started with was trying to focus on building that mailing list and I, I I had I think sixty people on my mailing list when I started over nearly a decade later uh, with my music career and I sat there you know figuratively speaking with my head in my hands going oh my god if I only knew then what I knew now uh, and, and knew about the importance of capturing the attention of an audience and owning you know, a real asset the ability to communicate with that audience um, then I would have sort of all I could have funneled all of that attention towards basically a mailing list um, and had a career for decades you know to come as opposed to sort of having to start from scratch all of that energy was effectively wasted it was just money spent on uh, creating awareness. And once that awareness dissipated, I had nothing. So to answer the second part of the question, certainly, I I think that as a as a young artist in this climate where record deals are few and far between, the money is minimal, the terms are not ideal. Uh, I think that we need to go about this re- and really approach this like a business. We need to go and find a market that might potentially be interested in the kind of music we um, make, get in front of that market and ultimately just build an audience and own that audience to an extent. And by own it, I mean via an email list or a retargeting pixel or the various ways that we can get our message in front of an audience and uh, build an authentic relationship with that audience. In other words, build a tribe around our brand, around our music. And once we've earn the right to ask for a little bit of support from that audience, then they're going to be uh, happy to help support us or the majority of, or not actually the majority, uh, 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 a percentage of them will be happy to support us, you know, uh, assuming we have won that right and we have effectively built that relationship. Uh, with that audience. So again, you know, the, the, the old model was go out there, create so much market awareness that it ultimately affected purchasing decisions. And in, in, in other words, get your music on the radio, get it on, uh, on TV, wherever you can get it in movies, uh, get it in the magazines. And if you create enough impressions, then that person, when they're next in the record store that is all but extinct now, uh, or in the modern sense on iTunes, they, uh, will see that, 
album or that ad or whatever the case may be sitting there and they'll go, oh yeah, that's right. I love that song. I want to have it in my collection. Now consumer uh, habits have completely changed. Obviously more and more we're consuming music through streaming channels where we don't have to pay for it. Uh, And so if we go about it with the old model where we try and create exposure and then hope that people are going to buy our music, we're going to see what the whole industry is seeing, which is, you know, very minimal sales. But if we approach it differently, create that tribe, control the relationship that we have with that tribe, uh, avoid the traditional distribution channels um, and simply ask for support from our audience that we have built that authentic relationship with, then we're going to see album sales, we're going to see results, and we're going to make a lot more money from a relatively smaller number of people as compared to making a very small royalty from a very large amount of people, which was more the old model. Yeah, uh, we've had artists uh, come on the show talking about this idea of a tribe before and saying that the you know, the new music industry is not one where an artist tries to get a tiny amount of money from many, many people, but rather it's about building a thousand fans who love you enough that they're willing to pay you a hundred dollars for the work that you do. And if you can get a thousand people to give you a hundred bucks, you got yourself a music career. And, you know, it's about building that time, as you've said. And, you know, it's interesting, of course, that you bring up mailing lists. I think there are a lot of younger musicians out there who think that email lists are just, you know, an antiquated thing in that, you know, social media is where it's at. But, you're absolutely right. The mailing list still very much serves a prominent function. It gives you a direct link to your audience. And so I imagine you would you know, s- still strongly recommend for all DIY artists to have that email list and to continue cultivating it. The mailing list is everything. I hear that, you know, once a week, somebody will comment on uh, aren't email or uh, emails a thing of the past? Isn't that over? Isn't it all about social media? And it's really not. I mean, uh, open rates haven't changed that much. I mean, they maybe have gone down a little bit, but I'm still seeing very strong open rates. And I've been at this, I've been working online since I uh, started started tinkering about 2005. I've been full-time for almost a decade since 2007, I think, was when I really started bringing in a, a, a full you know, six-figure-plus income from various online endeavors. Um, and I haven't seen my open rates really change that dramatically. So one, email is still very prevalent. Two, there are... Um, there, there's additional value to having that contact, for example, retargeting. So even if your message is slipping through their inbox and you don't uh, get in front of them um, uh, via email, you can upload that email address to Facebook and then target that audience for really just pennies, well, uh, technically dollars, but not a lot of money uh, to get the same message in front of that audience via social media, um, whereas you're not going to have the exact same crossover between people who like your page versus people uh, who take that effort and sign up to your mailing list. So there, there's a there's a number of reasons why we want to focus around the mailing list. You the other one is that these platforms change. If you've been around for any amount of time, then you'd remember the MySpace crash. Every musician on earth was relying on MySpace to build their audiences, and a few were successful with it. Uh, and then the platform completely fell apart, and all, so did all the careers that were relying uh, on the platform. And the same could happen to Facebook. Even if the platform doesn't go away, they can easily change their terms of service, and then suddenly you can't reach the people that you've been working uh, to to 
to uh, gather there on the platform. And, and we've already seen that with Facebook's EdgeRank uh, uh, algorithm where they have uh, severely handicapped your uh, messages' ab uh, ability to get in front of your audience if it's coming from a page. Um, so there again, you don't own anything if you're relying on another platform. But when you get that email address, you do own that relationship. And sure, there are challenges and, and certainly social media is, well, you can't say new anymore, but a, a relatively new uh, element uh, as compared to email, which also isn't that old, but email is absolutely viable. Anybody making any amount of money on, on online will, will tell you that in the music industry or, or otherwise. It's still the it's still an infinitely more effective and cheaper way of getting uh, meaningful messages in front of your audience. And the other benefit of email is that you've got, you, you really capture their focus you, you, on uh, a post on social media scrolling right past them. They've got, uh, you know, their best friends post sitting right next to yours to pull them away from yours. They're literally in the act of doing something else, whereas an inbox to a certain extent becomes many people's to-do lists. Um, People keep emails in there until they've uh, focused on the message uh, for whatever time they feel is appropriate. And uh, again, there are no other distractions. Um, you've got more room to manipulate that message in any way that you think is appropriate with images or mm -hmm. um, uh, longer form copy and, and the rest of it. Oh, very cool. And um, thank you very much for spreading that very important message that I keep telling artists all the time and they think I'm just, I sound like a crazy old guy. Yeah. Email lists are important. And speaking of other stuff, that's pretty important that can get your message out there. Uh, talk to us about your baby, the music marketing manifesto. Uh, what can artists expect if they uh, take up in this platform you've created? Well, um, yeah, I sort of jumped in there early in the in the conversation, but so backing up a little bit as my music career seemed to not be going very well and desperate to avoid getting a a, a day job, I turned yeah, I turned to the <laughs> internet. You know, I, I I as I said, I saw some flashy red headline promising that if I bought a course, they teach me how to make millions of dollars, and I got that bug when I sold the first course. And it was not followed by instant wealth by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I saw where there was one sale, there could be uh, thousands of sales. And I, I got obsessed. And I spent the next year, this is still 2005, 2000. Yeah, 2005, I think when I first started playing around maybe 2006, I'd have to look that up. Um, but I spent the next year just obsessing on marketing, learning everything I could. And I'm not exaggerating when I say just even in that first year alone, I probably went through 500 different books and courses and webinars and, and, and just consumed and, and was hell bent on figuring this, this thing out. And I, I like to think that I did. I eventually sort of cracked the, the code and fast forward a couple of years, I had built an online business uh, that had just within the first couple of years brought in um, over $2 million in sales, or I Woo. think it was just, just under $2 million in sales in the first couple of years. It's well over that now. Um, and this had nothing to do with music initially. This is a health-related product. I still own the business, and all of us internet marketers are secretive about our, our niches, so I'm not going to disclose exactly what it was. But um, but it was a, a very boring e-commerce health-related product, but it made me a lot of money. And, I, and in that process, once you have this one success with the internet, all of the big kind of all the uncertainty and question marks um, that other internet marketers create with all their scary headlines sort of goes away and you realize that this stuff is fairly straightforward. It's 
create something people uh, want or that a mar- an existing market wants, get it in front of them, uh, drive traffic, make them an offer that is better for them than it is for you uh, to some extent and uh, rinse and repeat, you know, uh, scale it up uh, wherever you can. Um, and so once I sort of saw what, what worked when it came to selling things online, I started experimenting with my own music career and for the first time in my life, I could I could send out an email and sell three hundred dollars or whatever the case might be, uh, worth of of albums, and it was shocking for a person who struggled and felt very vulnerable in the mainstream industry and always needed a label, always needed a booking agent, always needed a manager and a lawyer and everything else. Um, I, I I I suddenly could take action all by myself and actually generate income. And, uh, and it was amazing. And with finances kind of, um, uh, under control, um, I started looking for other projects, you know, things that I was a little more excited about. And, um, that coincided with a friend of mine, his name is Billy Burke. Um, he was going to put out his album and I had asked him what the plan was. And I, I knew what was going to happen. He was going to rely too much on his social media following and sell 50 copies and, and be bum. So I said, you know, why don't, why don't you let me um, handle all the marketing? I've been doing all this stuff. I, I think I know what to do. I put out his album. We spent, I think, 400 bucks on, on marketing. Um, and uh, he set the all-time single-day sales record over at CD Baby, which, as most people know, is the world's largest distributor of independent music. Um, so and, a pretty good know, ROI is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, pretty good ROI. And I don't want to <laughs> bullsh- bullshit anybody here. I hope swearing's okay there. But, um, uh, you know, we're not. You, an independent success is not a million copies. You know, it's thousands of copies. But, it, you know, he recouped the first week and, you know, continues to sell to this day. Um, <clears throat> it was a big success as far as we, we were concerned. But I took that experience uh, and put it into this course that has now been around since 2009 called Music Marketing Manifesto. It's now in its third edition. Um, and uh, I've since gone on to work with literally thousands of artists who've all had, of course, varying degrees of success with, with the strategies. I've done private consulting work for various labels. I've helped uh, numerous artists top a number of billboard charts, Amazon charts, iTunes charts, uh, radio charts for that matter, um, and, uh, and have just been yeah doing it ever since. And it's really become the kind of focus of my life, helping musicians, keeps me active as a musician myself um and enjoy the enjoy the hell of hell out of it you know music is that's that's the life that i set out to um to live uh when i was a teenager and and i enjoy doing it and and i'm good at it so yeah that's that's music marketing manifesto i share the basic strategies that i've i've helped other artists use to find success in in that course. And you can check that out at musicmarketingmanifesto.com. Let's, uh, turning our focus specifically to DIY artists. Um, I'm sure you having, you know, advised many artists and have seen the successes and the failures, uh, you, you're probably well poised to answer this, but what are some common mistakes that musicians and particularly DIY musicians tend to make over and over when marketing themselves? Well, there's a lot of mistakes, and it sort of depends on on how you're marketing yourself. One of the mistakes that I see a lot using the strategies that I teach is that I think people think having a good song is enough, and are and for starters, are not necessarily. Um, even that uh, critical of themselves when it comes to the definition of a good song, but <laughs> I, I, I don't. I I I think, and I'm butchering some 
some idea that Seth Godin put out there. I can't remember how he phrased it, but you know, he talks a lot about, does he say being excellent or being exceptional or one of those things? You, you really do need to be exceptional. You need to have a channel worth tuning into going and simply sharing the, if, if your message that you're trying to share with the world is, Hey, I have a new album out. It's on iTunes. You're not going to go anywhere. That's not exciting. Who wants to tune into that? You need to create this, this, culture behind you as an artist and this personality that is worth tuning in for, that is worth connecting with. And if you can do that, if you can hold people's attention, again, they're going to be happy to support you when you ask for that support, much like a television show. It's commercials that support all of those great shows that we all love. And if that television show did not hold uh, the attention well enough to make it worthwhile for the advertisers, the show wouldn't exist. So we need to create that channel that is worth tuning into. We need to understand who we are as a brand, who's going to be interested in our message, and how to sort of frame that a little bit so that it's not going to fall on on deaf ears pardon the pun yeah all right so now i got a music consulting project for you here so and it's going to be tough so uh, get ready brace yourself you know maybe do <laughs> some right. stretching here let's okay. say you got a musician comes up to you says i'm trying to market myself i'm trying to take some steps to get my music out there to move my career forward i have zero dollars in the bank account what are some steps that that artist can take <clears throat> right now even if they have no money well, I think that, um, you know, I'll be totally honest with zero dollars. It's it's pretty hard with a hundred bucks. It's it's considerably easier. You know, it doesn't take a lot of money, but, you know, little things like getting an uh, email management tool. I really think that you need to pay uh, um, some money for that, trying to go cheap and using one of these ones that offer free plans with limited features is is going to uh, hurt you in the long run. Or, you know, finding one of these ones that you install on your own server is going to hurt you in the long run. Same thing. You need a website platform. So you need a few basic things. And even having even having $5 a day or something like that for advertising would would be tremendously helpful and not break the bank. However, um, if you truly had nothing, then I'd say you got to start at the beginning. I mean, this is, this is all about success as an artist is just about taking steps, moving uh, the ball forward slowly but surely. And that means creating a bigger and bigger and bigger audience. So we, if you're just starting out and you have zero money, then unfortunately, you know, as much as I love online marketing techniques, they do take, again, those components. And, and unless you want to go out and create free content, which is painfully boring and time consuming, um, which you can do, but I'm just over sort of teaching people how to do it because advertising is so much more worthwhile. Um, <laughs> I, I would say go out and play shows in your hometown and start building the audience there, generate a little bit of money from that audience, and then take that uh, online so that you can scale that up. When One of the reasons that you hear musicians constantly talk about the only way to make money is by touring. That's the only thing that actually sells albums is because when we are touring, we're effectively touching on all of those same triggers. We're creating the same equation that we are with online marketing uh, to, to a certain extent. Um, we're going out there. We're creating a, a awareness, uh, uh, interest, desire, and ultimately action. When we stand up on that stage and they hear our name, there's that awareness. Now they know who we are. If they like our songs, there's interest um, and uh, and hopefully some desire to, you know, take, take 
some of that music with us after the show concludes. And if we go and stand at that merch table and shake hands and talk to people, um, we are uh, engaging in selling, you know, even if even if it's not conscious, even if it's not over the top or intentional, or even if it doesn't look like traditional selling, just by making that connection, creating that bond um, and having something for sale, uh, people, again, a good number of people will be ha happy to support you. You can do all of that using online tools that are infinitely more scalable and less financially risky. You know, you don't have to go and drive across the country and spend money on hotel rooms and and possibly hire a band and the many thousands of dollars that go along with touring. Um, but again, I'm not anti-touring. Touring is tremendously, a tremendously wonderful thing. But I guess to, to be uh, more succinct and answer your question, that would, that would be where I would start with zero money. Get out there, build your tier one audience in your backyard, perform, find any group of people that you can connect with and then take what works in that basic equation and then take it to the internet and use advertising to reach a bigger audience. So, all right. So uh, let, let, let me push you on that thing. Cause I think sure. uh, that's interesting. So now, all right, let's, let's make our, let's make our uh, person you're consulting a little less destitute. Sure. Uh, he's followed your advice. <laughs> he's played some gigs and now his bank account is not embarrassing anymore. Uh, sure. he, he doesn't have so little money that like, you know, he's getting like, you know, finance charges for not having enough money in his bank account. So yeah. he's got a little bit of money. We'll say you know, about a thousand dollars. Um, sure. where, what's the, what are some of the best places to direct that, you know, not a lot of money, but some money? Well, everything that I do, well, not everything actually, but uh, the, the, the first thrust of what I'm trying to do with promotion is to build that email list again, because it's the greatest way to capture somebody's attention. And if you've got their attention, it's the greatest way to make sales. Um, so I would go and first get a website up that had a lead capture uh, page of some sort of, we call them squeeze pages in marketing circles. This is a simple one-page website without all the bells and whistles that most musicians are used to. You don't want links to content. You don't want to give people a chance to click on everything, check you out, decide who you are. The reason being is that when you give people options, conversions typically go down. Um, you, you answer the question, satisfy the curiosity, and you see a less conversions. Mm. But you do want to create some kind of enticing message uh, that's usually a headline, maybe an image, may, um, uh, promising that if a person takes the next step and enters their name and email address, you're going to send them a free download that is going to deliver some kind of an experience. And it's really about that experience more than the free download. Uh, I was making big air quotes there. Nobody <laughs> needs another download. They, 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 they want a, a a deeper experience with some aspect of music, and that's going to be different for every market, for every audience, and, <clears throat> and certainly for every artist. So um, you make a bold claim or promise about what uh, your music, uh, what experience your music will ultimately offer. You present them within an image so people understand who you are. It gets uh, some of your, your brand across. Um, it gives them something to lock into. Maybe you use a few quotes from media or even fans as social proof. And then a few descriptive paragraphs just telling people more about uh, who you are, what your music sounds like, what, uh, what you're going to give them and what they need to do, which is to sign up there uh, somewhere on the page uh, and, and you'll instantly send them some free music. 
then you use that same uh, email management tool to send pre-written uh, uh, and uh, pre-written emails out at predetermined intervals. That's called an autoresponder. So they get an email message on day one and day five and day seven or whatever you ultimately decide. And you, again, walk a pr that fan through the relationship sort of building process. It's not unlike dating. We don't go into a bar, sit down next to someone and say, hey, want to get married? We have a, a cup of coffee and a conversation and then we do it again and then again um, and we go to different environments and talk about different things and uh, we don't just sit there and talk about ourselves. You know, all of those very similar dynamics uh, apply to marketing. Um, in fact, in marketing circles, you often hear people uh, uh, spend a lot of time talking about the sort of pickup uh, artists or pickup artistry and the, the many books that are out there on that because the dynamics are so similar w within marketing. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, but, uh, but again, so what that might look like for a musician, again, it's going to be different for everybody, uh, but that might be a blog post to, uh, tell some key story about who you are and to ultimately show them that you have the same set of values that they, the reader also has, uh, and to encourage them to leave comments and engage with you. Once they engage, the relationship is, is truly beginning and they become infinitely more likely to buy when you eventually ask them to buy. Then perhaps a few emails or or a few days rather down the line, you maybe send them a music video, you know, let them get now acquainted with the music so they get a better understanding of what that is. Uh, and then uh, maybe a few emails down the line, maybe you've got a video and you're, I'm just riffing here, but you know, maybe you're walking them through the recording studio and talking about the album that you ultimately have uh, and playing a few clips from it. Um, uh, and, and uh, then perhaps you're using one of the many uh, well-established psychological triggers that marketers use to get people off the fence because that's always the challenge, getting a person off the fence to feel that they need to make a decision now. Do I want to buy this or, or not? And we often do that with discounts or bundles. Um, because if you give people time uh, to to contemplate parting with their money, then they will often decide they don't want to part with their money. But if you say you're never never going to get uh, terms better than this, and and of course it all has to be true, um, and <laughs> that and you've built that interest and that desire, um, then it is kind of the logical conclusion of, of that prospect that, well, I do like this guy. I've been reading all his emails and watching his videos, and he's only asking me to spend $15, um, you know, to, to buy his album or whatever price you might be asking for it. Sure. I'll pull out my credit card and hit the buy now button. Um, and, and now that's, that's the very quick, version of what a funnel looks like. And it doesn't take much money to set that up, you know, a $10 hosting plan and a $20 a month, uh, autoresponder to start. Um, uh, from there you want to drive traffic into that funnel and you can start with a really, uh, and I use Facebook ads exclusively at the moment. Um, there are other ad platforms obviously out there and there's nothing wrong with any of them, but Facebook is where I get the best ROI and certainly the easiest. And you want to target, uh, the fans of, uh, similar artists, uh, and you really need to kind of niche down and you need to create a message and a brand and an image and everything else that is going to, uh, resonate with those people. You know, if you look like a, 
a classical music composer and you are advertising uh, to the Sex Pistols fans, there's going to be a disconnect there. You need to line <laughs> up all of your imaging, all of your language, everything that you're presenting with the the pre-existing interests and passions of the audience that you're ultimately targeting. And you need to test things too. You know, the first audience might be a, a flop. So you might, you, you need to try another one. You know, it is a process, but there's also things that you can do where you maybe you've been out on the road for a while and you have the email addresses of 500 fans. You can upload that to Facebook and create a lookalike audience and let Facebook find the patterns um, uh, within your audience that you might not be aware are actually there and start by targeting those people. Lookalike audiences of customers anyway tend to do uh, very well. And spend 10, 20, whatever, uh, whatever you can for, afford, 10 or $20, that is, uh, per day, dr driving traffic to that lead capture form, building that email list and letting the autoresponder take over and convert those people into fans. And then once they've bought from you, they're on your mailing list, you keep them engaged and you um, continue to occasionally promote things. So again, it's, you know, 80% interesting, entertaining, valuable content, 20% promotion. And um, you'll see again through upsells and additional promotions that over the course of the year, that average subscriber value, it could be five, ten dollars per subscriber because again, some of these people are spending five hundred dollars on on or with you on a house concert and some of them are just buying a ten dollar album and some of them are buying nothing. Um, but you can get these fairly high subscriber values. And so long as your subscri subscriber acquisition costs are under that, you've got an equation that is scalable and uh, can can be taken to really any height imaginable. And if you line all of that up with some offline stuff like touring and perhaps eventually uh, regional radio and these other things, um, you really the, the sky's the limit in terms of what you can do. Um, but in this model and going back to your earlier sort of question, you know, what is different here than what has been done traditionally is that we're operating like an independent business as opposed to uh, a musician who is just waiting for the world to discover us. We're going out um, and, and uh, yeah, taking our music to an audience and using proven selling tactics to get those people to convert as opposed to just uh, th thinking we're great and sitting around uh, waiting for people to to discover us, which uh, as as the uh, industry is discovering, you know, really doesn't work very well anymore. Well, John, that was super insightful. This has been a masterclass having you on. You can find out more about John's work by visiting musicmarketingmanifesto.com and johnojaka.com. That's J-O-H-N-O-S-C- zjaca.com um this has been a treat um we'd love to have you on again real soon this has you're, you're this is tremendous <laughs> thank you so well, much for joining us thanks thanks for uh, uh having me one minor correction it's o-s-z-a-j-c oh, but just as, i knew no, as no. i was saying it it was, it was coming off the rails yeah. uh, as a fellow no. member of the uh difficult last name uh, club i uh, <laughs> I, I can i apologize <laughs> Just butcher me in Google, and Google will help you along. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. All right. All right well, yeah, th thanks for having me. Of course, we'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. 
Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to John Ojaka. Super insightful for joining us in the previous segment. You can find out more about the Music Marketing Manifesto program by visiting musicmarketingmanifesto.com. Can you say that three times fast? Music Marketing Manifesto, Music Marketing Manifesto, Music Marketing Manifesto. You didn't say the dot com, though. Uh, fail. Yeah. Well, it seems like one of those things that's not, that would be hard to say three times fast, but really it's not. Yeah. Uh, I... I got to tell you, man. Yes. I I mean, I know we're finally in the D block. We got just, you know, one more segment to go here. Uh-huh. And, and we're not doing, you know, you know, we, we talk about pop culture stuff here. And pop culture is sort of, is messing with me right now. I am, really? I'm not fully feeling this episode just because I'm I'm tired and I'm uh-huh. frustrated. And it's because my I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan like you. And that football game let's, against let's, Florida State last night has it. crushed my spirit. Let's, let's skip that bullshit. I, I can't. I can't because it's it's permanently in my head. What was that interception Kaya threw just for like I think I'm just gonna decide to throw it to the other team. Yeah, that and by the way, that was the turning point. We we owned that game and then something happened with that interception. Uh did you see the second half of the game? Um not much. I'll yeah. be perfectly honest with you. I watched the first half and then I switched over to the Graham Norton show and then Saturday Night Live because I've had a... It's funny. On the board, there's Ryan's Revelation. It says Ryan's Revelation. Ryan's had a revelation. Yes. Okay. I'm actually... I'm coming to a revelation myself. Mm-hmm. I really don't enjoy football uh, that much anymore. Not, definitely not like I used to, uh, but I've known it, but I, I I cannot really sit through a full game of football. Well... I find it tedious, uh, and um, I just can't do it. Well, so I watched the first half, and then I, I went on to other things and came back towards the end. Well, so then you, you did see the ending, and... You know, oh, yeah, I saw that stupid ending. Well, yeah, so the, the Hurricanes, for those of you who didn't see it, uh, my beloved Hurricanes, Dave's beloved Hurricanes, scored a touchdown at the end of the game. We were down by seven. I mean, this was like a minute a and a half, so well, they, they would have gotten the ball back, and I, at that point, I had no faith in the defense anyway. Well, defense was playing well in the second half. Anyway, yeah. so... They get the touchdown. All right, it gets to the extra point, and the announcer, Chris Fowler, has to. He just had to. He just had to say, "Oh, Miami's kicker uh, Badgley uh, hasn't missed an extra point in seventy-eight attempts." Blocked extra point. It's because he said something. I'm convinced. What a great Chris Fowler impersonation. Yeah, I know. I nailed it. Everybody's like, "Oh, that's so Fowler." Yeah. Um. Right. And of course, he the extra point gets blocked. Hurricanes lose, and. And, you know, you, you've said, like, you can't watch football anymore because it's too slow. I've heard you say that before, and I feel like I've gotten to the point where I don't think I—I I, I just can't watch sports anymore. It just—it hurts too much. All I was sports. Well, I mean, pretty much that game just hurt me too much, and I was, like, angry. I was yelling at the television. I scared the dog. Uh-huh. I woke up my wife, and all I was thinking is, like, how can I let a game— make me this frustrated. I need to stop just I just I just want to give up on sports. I just do because <laughs> be, because I just think of all the time I waste talking about sports, watching sports, how my entire weekend gets devoured, all the things I could be doing with my weekend, but I spend it watching football. I think I I, I just might be done with televised sports. This is just, it was just such a frustrating night. I would recommend Formula 1 racing because well I root for Lewis Hamilton. You know, if he doesn't win, it's not like, oh, that's my guy. I'm rooting for. I just want a good race. I want to see action. But I'm I'm watching a sporting event that's fun in general, and it's a lot more rewarding. I think. I think actually viewership of the NFL is down across the board, like major now. But no one knows why. I just think people are just you know who cares. I you think know. you think people? I mean, I think it's probably just changes in viewing habits. There's so many things competing for people's attention, and football is slow. 
get you know what's the set? It's like eleven minutes of game time. Yeah, in a sixty-minute game. But we already know the sixty minutes gets drawn out into three hours. So yeah. eleven minutes of action in three hours. I find no myself checking my phone in between every play, and I mean. I actually find football somewhat enjoyable like when I can check Twitter and like follow people in real time yeah. as they're watching the game. But just the heartbreak was just too much yeah. last And night. you do fantasy, so you actually have an incentive to be in it. But yeah, even you don't care that much anymore. No, it's, I just I, I I just last night when I was just in the in the midst of a temper tantrum befitting a petulant seven year old, mm-hmm. just thinking, What am I doing? Why why do I let this frustrate me so much? It's a freaking game and and I, I just, I just don't know if I could, like, I, I don't know if I could do sports anymore. I just, oh. yeah, I've learned to sort of disconnect that mode and everything. Plus, we're in Miami. We're, <clears throat> Ooh, you all right there, big guy? <laughs> I think you had, might have had a rough night last night. <laughs> Woo! That just came out of nowhere. Oh my god! Sorry about uh, that. And, the, and you're the guy who usually comes prepared. You have like a gallon of water that you bring into the studio each yeah. episode. That that sounded unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, get your get your get your drink on. That's cool. Um, <sighs> yeah, you sound now you sound beautiful. Yeah. You got that great voice coming. That's back. what everyone wants to hear. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, sports. I don't know sports. Anyway, and we're in Miami, so the sports scene stinks even more now. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe if I was in a town where the sports teams weren't so disappointing, I feel like the '72 Dolphins cursed everything else. We traded. You're saying we traded a perfect dolphin season for just a lifetime of misery thereafter. Well, no, because I feel we get the we get the every once in a while highs. You got the Marlins winning the '97 World Series. Yeah, you know the Panthers went to the Stanley Cup in '96, but they got swept. You know that '97 Marlins team got blown up. 2003 Marlins team wins. Then, but you know there's like no consistency. We get the big three. We get LeBron right. Yeah, and then it turns out he was like. Okay, as soon as he signed, he was already like, ooh, I can't wait to mess with Pat Riley and leave. Yeah. That asshole. That's his fault. Oh, my God. And did you see what LeBron James <clears throat> tweeted last night yeah. about UMFSU? Oh. oh. I, I don't what have it. Schmuck. In, I don't have it in front of me. But yeah, LeBron tweeted something like, yeah, after Badgley missed the extra point. Oh, my God. He missed the kick. What an amazing finish. Yeah, he was like rooting for FSU. Hey, hey guy, yeah. James Jones went to UM. And he's the one that took you to every single one of those finals. <laughs> James Jones was on all of those teams. Yeah. Okay. James Jones is the reason. Like, yeah. I mean, don't 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 be this so rough so... on this community. All right. This okay? is local. This is very local. All right. Now. That's fine. All right. So anyway, but yeah, that's that's how I feel about sports. But this is a music show. Um, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, for the first two thirds of it, anyway. Yeah. Um, but I do have a little music thing to share. Uh-huh. Um, this is making its way around the internet. A. Uh, a self-described Christian lady, mother of four, put out a YouTube video in which she comments about the Vince Staples uh, hip-hop song, Norf Norf. Um, that sounds like the what the Th- Thundercats yeah. thing was. Schnarf, schnarf. Yeah, exactly. But um, apparently she was in the car with her kids and Norf Norf comes on and she was not happy because this, the song is a little filthy. I, I've never heard this song. Well, she's about to recite it to you. Um, oh, she was okay. so upset by the lyrics of the song that she had to make a YouTube video about how mad she is. You hear banging in the back background of this video. That's actually like her kid who, you know, she's you know in the midst of this video. So she can't tend to her kid at the moment. The kid's like banging in the background. But so that's the banging you're going to hear. Oh, OK. So this is this woman talking about Norf Norf. It's about. 45 seconds, but it's glorious. Okay. I cannot believe this stuff is on the radio. I'm sorry. She's a little I've got to collect myself because this is, this is what our youth is being subjected to. 
Okay, and I'm going to read it to you. Okay. And I want you to just listen to the words. Ryan, listen to the words. And I'm listening. Okay. I'm telling you that some of this, I'm going to cuss. I'm just going to repeat what it says. <gasps> oh, no. But Bit these aren't my warning. words, obviously. Yeah. I just want you to listen to it, okay? All right. Okay. This is a build-up. It's up. a little long, yeah. so bear with me. We're with you. Yeah. It says, Bitch, you thirsty. Please grab a Sprite. My crypt's lurking. Don't die tonight. I just want to dance with you, baby. Just don't move too fast. I'm too crazy. Man down, down the ave, and get shaded. Take a nigga mind off that. Oh, God. We can dip, fuck in the whip, slide right back in the function. She's One wrong word. Start busting. Put that on my Yankee hat. I'm a gangster crip. Fuck gangster rap. Where the ladies at? Where the hoes? Where the bitches? Every real nigga know the difference. Bandana brown like the. All right, I'm gonna put her. Jesus, I'm gonna let her take H. a break. Yeah, she's because uh, she's she's really getting caught up in these uh, in these lyrics here. And I'll say this: like, she's got pretty good flow. Like she she she's stopping at the really? right points. I don't well, know because it seemed like a discon a disconnected just fragments of sentences well, she's that had no she, she's overcome it. by emotion in her defense well but. clearly this is probably the worst thing's ever happened to her in her whole life <laughs> oh man but uh you knew it was only a matter of time before somebody on the internet took her reading the uh the the lyrics to this to north north yeah and um you know putting the putting the track behind it uh-huh and so then you end up with this a little long so bear with me it says, bitch, you thirsty, please grab a Sprite. My crypt's lurking, don't die tonight. I just want to dance with you, baby. Just don't move too fast. I'm too crazy. Man down, down the ass, and get shaded. Take a nigga mind off that. We can dip, fuck in the whip, slide right back in function. One wrong word, start busting. Put what? that on my Yankee hat. I'm a gangster crip, fuck gangster rap. Where the ladies at? Where the hoes? Where the bitches? Wow, maybe she should get signed, dude. Oh wait, no, maybe no. She should independently That's start right. her own music career. Get a copy of Break the you know, Lady. Get a copy of Break the Business. You know, learn how to you know build your own music career, and she's got a future. And look, man, I don't want like I, I don't want to make fun of her too bad. You know, I, I mean, she, she her heart's what, in the right place. She's just uh, a concerned mom, and like, what radio station was she listening to though? She said she was just listening to the top forty station because she was saying like the song that came before was Megan Trainer. And I don't I don't listen to FM anymore, so I have, honestly have no idea what's on there. <laughs> I, I I legitimately I don't know if the, if like Casey Case would be. And now, <laughs> time, that was Megan Trainer all about that bass. Now we move on to North North. <laughs> I'm Casey Kasem. I used to introduce songs that made sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, you thirsty. <laughs> It's a good thing Tipper Gore and the PMRC are not around anymore. By the way, that was probably the best thing about Casey Kasem in the later years mm -hmm. was just having this, you know, old guy having to say like the lyrics of these hip hop songs when, when he's doing like, you know, uh, American Top 40. Mm -hmm. And that's back that ass up. I'm Casey Kasem. Yeah.
<laughs> it's just, it was glorious. It was, it was the best thing about listening to that show. Yeah. Um, um, but how old are the kids? Uh, I mean, please tell me they're 40. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you stepped on my joke. Um, I mean, one of them is, you know, clearly baby age because you can hear her like, you know, banging on something in the background. Just saying, Mom, I want my food. Get me my food, Mom. <laughs> that's, that's how the 38 year old sounds. But, <laughs> Ma, the beast love. <laughs> but, I mean, and to Vince Staples' credit, uh, he even, you know, he even that's, spoke, the, that's a singer. That's a singer. Okay. The, the, yeah, the guy who made North North. And he even came on and, and he wasn't coming down on her too hard. You know, he's like, look, you know, I get where she's coming from. And, you know, I think she misunder, you know, she was sort of misunderstanding the lyrics a bit. But like he was he was asking for people to not like dump on her too badly. <laughs> OK, guy, <laughs> in this day and age, give me a break. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, yeah. But you know, she I'm made just trying a video. to figure out that. Uh, so, how much of the song did she listen to in the car? Like, she clearly, I think, got to a certain point where she was listening to it in the car with the kids. Like, she didn't think to change it immediately. I think she did. Sure. Well, now, then, what does it matter if she changed it immediately? Well, and, and of course, that's always the other point: is you know, turn the radio off. Like, you're gonna. I think. I mean, how long do you think it takes the average human to listen to a song and realize, okay, I'm not gonna want to listen to this song and change the channel? Sure. Not that long. Yeah. I don't think you have to get through like the very end, you know, seven minutes into into Gata Davida to be like, eh. Can we listen to a little more? Yeah. Where the bitches? Every real nigga know the difference. Bandana brown like the dope daddy. Shooting in the kitchen. Nerf side nigga. Never went to Polly, Wilson, or Cabrilla. Cocaine color of acrylo. I don't even know if I pronounced that right. Please <laughs> stop moving for the d What he know. I ain't never ran from nothing but the police. From the city where the skinny carries strong heat. Nerf side. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. Jeez. Oh, that was uh, glorious. Got mad flow, I'm telling you. Be interesting to see this lady's opinions on a bunch of other things. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not, actually. Well, I don't, I don't want... That's the thing. I don't want the backlash that she's probably getting for this video to make her hide away. Like, I need to hear her thoughts on more things. I'm sure people will come to her defense. I'm saying I, I need her to get mad at other hip hop songs and have her read the lyrics of those songs and then to have those set to music so we can keep doing this. You essentially want her to be like the William Hung of today. Remember the guy from American I Idol? I do. Yes. The, she bang. She bang. Oh baby. When she, yeah. You know, basically, and like he got a record deal. He did. Out of that, you just want her to get a a, a recording deal somewhere so she can make quote music <laughs> i do i do very much like i would not as you know well, i don't i don't advise anybody on this show to sign a record deal yeah you should sign one lady oh, just, sorry, we don't just have get name. your music out there uh, you, yeah what, what 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 was her description or something like that uh, mother of four christian woman. mother of four christian woman sings to live crew oh my god that would be oh I would I, I would download the crap like I, I don't buy music I don't download music anymore I stream everything but I would buy that I would buy the CD of that and I feel like Uncle I'd Luke, buy that in vinyl I feel like Uncle Luke would have a good sense of humor about that and he'd be like yeah let's do it let's do it oh let's my collaborate god. oh my god oh it'd be glorious all right our thanks to John Ojaka for joining us in the previous segment my thanks to you Dave for just being awesome as always oh thank you very much buddy good to have another episode in the can yeah and thank you all very much for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Thank you.